Welcome to Money Grows on Trees. Money does grow on trees. A podcast full of practical, real-life money lessons that you wish you learned in school. Lloyd is a former lawyer turned lifestyle entrepreneur. In each episode, he'll be answering the tough questions around money, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you transform your money mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Lloyd Ross. All right, welcome back to the show, Money Grows on Trees podcast. My name is Lloyd Ross, and this is a very, very special episode of Money Grows on Trees because I have the most special guest with me today. He's the leading authority on human development. He's authored over 20 books, and he's the founder of the Martini Method and Breakthrough Experience. He's been featured on Larry King Live, Oprah Magazine. He's been featured in The Secret He's been on stage with Wayne Dyer, Jeepak Chopra, Donald Trump, Richard Branson, and many more. But what I love about him the most is watching him teach because that's really his, his spiritual gift. And we get to have him on our show today uh, from his yacht where he teaches. It's Dr. D. Martini himself. Welcome to the show, John. <laughs> Thank you. I've been looking forward to it. <clears throat> Fantastic. Well, John, um, I had the pleasure of... Um, Listening to you speak, I've, I've done your breakthrough experience, which is sensational. Anyone who hasn't done that, really, we'll talk about it later, but it's it's fantastic. Um, but I had the pleasure of hearing you talk at a friend's DreamFest event recently. You zoomed in and and you spoke about time management. And with all the people I teach and coach about money, the number one thing that pops up, and you may have encountered this yourself many, 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 many years in a row, the number one thing that comes up with their money is they don't know how to manage their time. So would you be able to give us some wisdom around some of that stuff that you've encountered and even just touch on your story as to how that came about? So you'd like me to share that, that story, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to, yeah. Yeah, right. I, uh, well, when I was 27 years old, I had opened up my practice and I hired me an assistant to assist me in doing things I really didn't know much about. And I went into operation, but I noticed that I was doing a lot of things that I wasn't trained for and that really weren't most inspiring for me. I felt a bit weighed down. I needed some assistance. So I went over to Walden's Books, which was a chain at the time, it's 1982, and went through the books and found a book called The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie. And as I browsed through it, I went, yep, this is the one I want to take. So I grabbed the book, went home and just devoured it. Earmarked it, underlined it, bent the pages, you know, the, all the basics. Yeah. Then I extracted the essence, or at least some of the essence from the book and created a chart, I guess you could call it. It had six columns in it five parallel lines on a piece of paper. The first column was everything that I did in a day. And I had to be really honest with myself. What am I doing in my day? Mm. From the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. Yeah. What am I actually doing? And you have to face the truth about yourself sometimes. Yeah. And I looked at what I did and I wrote down and I, instead of generalities marketing, 
I wrote down the actual action steps that I was doing. The actual action steps I was doing clinically, actually action steps I was doing administrative. Everything I was doing, every detail of everything I would do that would be redundant that I was doing. Okay. And this became a multi-page list. And I kind of abbreviated it the best I could to keep it in that column. When I got through that, I had already, by looking at that, reading that, realized, whoa, I'm doing a whole lot of stuff that's not really priority. Yeah. I was majoring in minors and minoring in majors, and I had to face that more than I could see before I wrote those. Okay. When I got through, um, I already had this sense that of where I was leading that was kind of pointing me in a direction. In the second column, I wrote down a really painful one. How much does it generate per hour? Okay. So if I spent two hours, I would divide by two. If I spent a half hour, I'd multiply by two. Yep. 10 minutes, I'd multiply times six. And I extrapolate down to what does it actually produce to the best of my cognitive ability to decide that. And some things weren't generating anything. And that was the vast majority. I had a lot of zeros. And then there was a handful of things that were really off the chart. And going and doing presentations to groups mm. was the highest producing per minute per hour, which I thought was, oh, that's interesting. I love speaking, but it just so happened I can leverage. Yeah. The second one was actually clinically working with a client. Okay. But it went down from there. And there's a lot of zeros. I made two decisions from that. I need to be focusing on these two, these few. And I need to either charge for these other ones, reduce them, or get them delegated. Okay. When I got through that list, I prioritized it according to what produced the most per hour down to least per hour. I already sensed, not only was I majoring in minor and minor majors, I already sensed now where I needed to go from that prioritization. In the third column, I wrote down how much meaning does it have? Mm. Because... When I'm doing something that's productive, it means I'm doing something that serves my clients, my customers, my attendees. Yeah. And that is half of the equation. But then the other half of the equation is I have to be able to be inspired to do it. Yeah. And if it's not meaningful to me and it's not intrinsically driving me, I'm going to procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate, and not take action and hold back on the thing that produces. Yep. So I did a one to 10 scale, meaning 10 was... Uh, I dream about it. I'm inspired to do it. I spontaneously do it. I love it. And one was I got to do it. I have to do it. I, I must do it. Okay. Because it just needs to be done. Okay. But I hate it. <laughs> okay. And I did that list and prioritized it to the ones that were most priority. Now, I was blessed <clears throat> because the ones that were most meaningful, a number of them were the ones that produced the most. So that was like, a breath of fresh air knowing oh, that's where I need to go. Okay. That way I can't wait to get up in the morning mm. and be a service and people can't wait to get the service. And I can tap dance to work as Buffett said. <laughs> he does say that. The fourth one, fourth column was how much would it cost to delegate the others? Okay. Per responsibility. Now that would take a little bit more diligence because I had to think of every cost 
And what would it take for a specialist to do that? Yeah. Roughly the average. And I would look up what the average fees are, what I think that would be costing. And then the cost of the office, the cost of the training, the parking, the insurance, the downtime, the bonuses, the paper clips, the computer, whatever it was needed. And I did a really thorough analysis of what it was costing me because I wanted it to be as accurate as possible. So I didn't go, oops, I didn't think very clearly. Yeah. Rather have foresight than hindsight. Okay. And then I prioritize that according to spread, what produces the most versus costs the least. Okay. So that way I knew where if I delegate, I could extract surplus labor value out of manual labor and use their cognitive skills to help me produce more. And that way I'm free to go and do what I really love to do that produces the most. So you looked at the return on investment of the, the delegation. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Because it never costs to delegate properly. It only costs to abnegate, to hand it to people that aren't inspired to do it. Ah. It so then when I did it, the next one, next column, was how much time do I actually spend on that? So I'm really knowing, do I need a full-time position, a part-time position? So I could reallocate the jobs and design the positions more effectively and where there was overlap skills. And the last column is the final prioritization taking all the variables together, what is the final prioritization from the most important to the least important? Because I learned that when you go through the pathway of delegation, you delegate least important to highest important. The very last thing you delegate that is the most important thing that you do that you duplicate yourself with with a franchisor yep. or somebody you pass on, you know, when you set the torch off to somebody else. Yeah. When I got through, I had a really clear idea and I divided that entire thing into 10 layers. I don't know why 10, I could have done seven, but I made it 10. Okay. Cause that's sort of what I figured it was gonna take for me to delegate it all, about 10 people yeah. over time. So there's probably 10 key tasks was there that you had to- Yeah, 10, key, 10 key job skills yep. and specialties. And then what I did is I then, put the one into a job description, did my best on a job description, looked at what values were needed for that job description, and then put out the ad. Now, it took me three people to get that person, that individual. Okay, so you went through and a couple I, of people, weren't so good. Yeah, I, I, was, I was like Arnold, you know, <laughs> you know <Okay>. the Terminator. <laughs> so you had to be very fast to figure out if they were very good fit, and then if they weren't, you got you. Replace them. that that taught me about how to not ever hire anybody until i determined what their values were uh-huh because i want to know what their life demonstrates that they spontaneously do that nobody has to motivate to do because i don't want to have to motivate people and yeah. push people uphill. yes motivation is a symptom never a solution for a company motivation is a symptom never a solution this is yeah. your this is your special area of expertise like you're you're known john is known for values like this is your yes this is the area that i've 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 45 years out of my 50 years of teaching is that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't, nobody goes to work for the sake of a company. They go okay. to work to fulfill what they value most. And if they can't see how what they're doing in the job description is going to fulfill what their highest value is, they're not engaged. And you're going to mm. have to keep reminding them and motivate them because it goes into short-term memory and they don't, they procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate. Mm. Because only in your highest values do you spontaneously take action. Okay. So then... Once I got that and I hired the person, three people, the hired the next person, two people. After that, I got pretty good at hiring. 
Yeah. I learned how to refine that and ask the right questions. Now I have a whole science for that yeah. and how to ask questions to hire people. So you're not having to hire again and again and again. Once I did that in 18 months from the time I read the book, 18 months later, one, one assistant and myself in a 970 square foot office was a 5,000 square foot office, five doctors, 12 staff members, all specialties doing their thing. I am out speaking and generating hundred new patients a month and doing only the specialty patients and the other doctors are doing the other ones. And I delegated that in training them and training the public and training them, train the public. I had my own TV show by then. I had my own radio interactions. I was publishing books already. I was getting messages out most effectively and efficiently doing presentations one to three times a day. And then working with only the specialty CEOs and the highest quality people I could that had the biggest outreach and delegating all the things that anybody in the profession I could probably get to do. Now, when I did that, tenfold net worth increase, not, not net worth, but tenfold increase in income. Wow. Lower, just much less. The distress levels went down because distress is a byproduct of not doing what's deeply meaningful to you. Yeah. Because when you're doing something you're inspired to do, you can work all day long, all 18 night. hours a day. I do it 18 <laughs> hours a day, seven days a week. I, <laughs> I know. It's incredible. So, yeah. So, but when you're doing something that's low on your values, the amygdala comes online. It wants to avoid distraction and stress, and it wants to go for immediate gratification. When you do, you keep having distress, not eustress. Eustress yeah. is wellness promoting and, and productivity promoting. The other is distress because you're putting fires out. So I released that, got people that loved doing what they were doing. So everybody was doing something loved to do. And it was a high performance engaged dynamic. And I was out doing my thing and I had it delegated. And people are reliable to do what they love doing. They're yes. just not reliable to do what you tell them to do that's not inspiring to them. Yes, makes sense. So it produces to delegate. So today, I only teach, research, and write. Yeah. Travel. Everything else is delegated. So if my girlfriend says, do you want to make love, baby? I said, look, <laughs> if I organize if I organize George Clooney to take care of that for you, today, we used to love me. Every time she said, I'll love you even more. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, that's fantastic. So there you go. I mean, a great example of even, you know, delegating even the, the fun stuff. Uh, joking I, I don't delegate that Yeah, way. I know. I showed my girlfriend, you wouldn't delegate. No, no, no. I know you wouldn't delegate that. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, it's a great example of, um, yeah, I love your sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really interesting though, because I mean, what do you think it is then that stops people going through this exercise that you did? Like what stops them from delegating? There's a number of things and the, and the time trap outlines probably the majority of them. I've seen a few other additional ones that weren't in the book, but one of them is, <clears throat> well, by the time I delegate, I could have done it. Uh -huh. The other one is by the time I train them, you know, they're not going to do it the way I want. And then I got to do it again anyway. Yeah, okay. Another one is I'm, I, I, I might have a liability if it's not done the way a certain way. Yeah. Uh, another one is that um, I don't want to have to manage people. I've got enough on my plate. Okay. 
And what if it doesn't produce more than it costs? I'm going backward. I mean, there's just a list of things that people come up with in their heads. Yep. Or, and it's a lot of it is the idea that of pride. See, the amygdala, the lower subcortical area of the brain, is addicted to pride and addicted to fantasies, a pleasure without a pain. Yeah. The executive center pursues a purpose and meaning and embraces pleasure and pain equally in that pursuit. So if you're not in your executive center, because you're not doing what's highest on value, the amygdala makes you get addicted to you thinking you're superior to somebody. And then you hire not A people, you hire D, E, F, G, H people. Mm. Because you want to feel like you're a leader because you're insecure having people that know more than you around you. Okay. So that blocks people from giving themselves permission to liberate themselves and surround themselves with experts so you don't have to deal with it. I don't know all the stuff that goes on in social media, <clears throat> the internet. I'll, I have people that do that. I, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they, were, they were interviewing Richard Branson one time. And they, they said, you know, what's the key to your success or achievement or whatever? He says, I'm a dumb. I'm dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I, I had to hire people that knew what they were doing. So someone someone told me the other day, then that that particular skill is called strategic incompetence. So you yes. can select things that you're strategically incompetent at. My then, my wife taught me this. Okay, my wife who is from Melbourne. Okay, you know, there you go. She, she, she she purposely made sure she knew nothing about cooking, so I take her out to dinner. <laughs> That's very clever. Yeah, she has the same strategic incompetence as me then, because I'm the same. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, you can apply this to not only business, but home life too, right? Like if someone's in an employee role, they can delegate a lot of home stuff to create more time for themselves to maybe even start a business. Yes. Can I share a story? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Love you too. So I'm in, I'm in uh, Seattle, Washington, teaching the breakthrough experience. Yeah. I've taught 1,160 times. And uh, <laughs> there's a couple there and they're probably 32, 31, 32, 30, something like that. They're young doctors that had just graduated a few years, maybe five years or something, six years, four years maybe. And um, they were having some conflict a little bit, some tension, nothing major, not divorce stuff, but just tension. Sure. And they both were doctors, but they ended up having a child and she kept working. But when she got to the second child, she ended up deciding I need to be more of a mother. So in the process of doing it, she had read a book written by somebody that did not have a high business savvy or business or capacity to earn a lot of money. So it was totally dedicated to children. Mm. It wasn't business oriented or professional oriented. So the book was projecting their values onto the readers that a real mother is 100% there and makes natural foods and makes natural cotton diapers and da, da, da. It was like Miss Tofu kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so she was giving power to that authority and thinking, I need to fit into that. Even though she wasn't thinking, that's not my same set of values. Yeah. So now she's putting an expectation on herself, according to the authority she's reading, about how she should be as a mother. Yeah. And how her husband should be. Of course, the woman who wrote it, husband made about $50,000 or $60,000 a year. The husband's over here is making $400,000 a year. Uh -huh. So he's not, he's a more professional instead of a guy that comes home nine to five. Yeah. So she injected some of those values, which is an internal conflict. And anytime you do that, you're in your amygdala, you're emotional. 
And he, she tried to put the projection on him. You need to be home more to be with your kids. There you go. And he says, you just need a bigger house. You're not working. We were working together. I got to double the work. You know, I'm kind of, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, Coitus squared. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the process of doing that, um, I sat with him and I said, listen, I want you to make a list of everything you do at home to the girl. She did it right there on the spot while we were doing other things. I made her make a list. And then everything she was doing at work. And I made her go through and prioritize that. And then I, I made her stop, stop and think. What does it produce? Zero. What would it cost to delegate that? What's mm -hmm. the meaning? I went through the whole thing. Yeah. The whole step. When she got through, she, was, she had an identity crisis. And an internal conflict about being a good mother yeah. between the authority and herself because she really wanted to be practicing and was jealous of her husband because she wanted to be able to make an income and do that too. And she felt trapped by his kids. <laughs> all right. So all of those, the, the conflict that we're experiencing, I mean, it's, it's so deep seated in something completely unrelated. It's exactly. So what yeah. happened was we prioritized all that and realized that she was doing a, at that time, a $20 an hour job. Over in practice, she could make between four hundred and a thousand dollars an hour. There you go, and so happy. She's doing a twenty dollars an hour, devaluing yeah. herself. Yeah, doing something low in her values. She didn't get trained for that. She didn't dream about doing it because she subordinated to a woman who only made twenty bucks an hour, and in the process of doing that, had this internal conflict. And when she saw that, and then I asked her a big question: Do you think your husband wants to be married to a maid? Oh, <laughs> that and she goes, Ooh, that, oh. that really hurt. Now, major magnificent people, yeah, and the old pairs are magnificent people, but not when you have the, the specialty you could be doing. You're you're doing not a not an unimportant job, it's yeah. not meaning, yeah, it's just it's a devaluation of time, yeah, it's not a time wise action. So, we hired somebody to do that. Not then on the day, but she made a decision to do it. So she hired somebody to do some of the, the cleaning, some of the cooking, some of the shopping, some of the taking the kids to certain places. And she went back to work. Yeah. And she started making 400, 500, 600 an hour. And she then realized I can now put investment money away for their college. I can take trips for the kids. And when I come home, the house is clean. The cooking is done. Everything is organized and I can now spend quality time with my kids. So go. she actually had more time with her kids per day because she was having to stick them in front of video games to keep her able to do the job she was doing with her kids around. Right. So she thought she was actually doing mothering, but she wasn't. She was doing yeah. a, a, a less valued service. So she was doing mothering based on someone else's perspective values. about it or, 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 or values around it or whatever it might be. So I found this myself too, after doing your training of the values, someone said to me the other day, they said, Lloyd, what do you do for fun? Because I told them how much work I do, which I love. And they said, what do you do for fun? And because I've done your training, I thought, hang on a second. Why do I have to fit into your values of what you think fun is? Yeah. Well, I just say thank you, but no, thank you. Everybody's definition of everybody's going to project their values onto you. 
Yes. If they have a high value in kids, they're going to say, how's your kids? Yes. If they have a high value in golf, don't you go out and golf? Yes. If they have a high value on, on, on movies, when do you go to movies? That's if right. They have a high value on sex, when do you have sex? <laughs> whatever their values are, they're projected onto you. And when you really know yourself, you know what your values are, and you don't get swayed by yeah. trying to be somebody you're not. Yeah. Because the magnificence of who you truly are is far greater than all those fantasies and delusions you might get imposed on you. Yep. So having the courage to stand out and not fit in is liberating to the least, at least. And it's invigorating when you get in motion and start building momentum that becomes unstoppable. Yeah. You're at, and, and, you, and you're best serving the world when you're living in your values by your own values and you're doing the things that do light you up. I mean, that's it. And it's, it's not it's not work. No, it's play, right? It's play. Yeah. You play work. Yeah. But here's the difference. You can have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. <laughs> or you can do what you love and make your vocation vacation the same so you don't think about it that way. Yeah. And you have way more energy. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the clincher. When she did that, was able to go back to work, he was able to spend more time with the kids. Ah. So all the things they really wanted to achieve in the first place was really done by just getting very clear on what they valued the most and then delegating the things out that they didn't really value. Here's the clincher. Every symptom in our life, physiological, through the autonomic epigenetic expression, intuitive psychological, from our emotions, our social feedback systems, our business responses, are all trying to get us to live according to our highest values where we're most authentic and most efficient. Every symptom, once we understand that, management is really amazing. Once we understand that, we empower ourselves and escalate our scaling up of our life or our business. Incredible. Incredible. And so it really lends itself to then the question that probably people would have, even listening to this episode, and I'm certain anything you put out there too, is that well, what are my values? How do I know? And that's like, if they're just learning it for the first time on this episode, like, well, what are my values? You've got, and, and I've, I've, I've gone through it myself. And it's very empowering, obviously. It's the first step, no doubt. You've got a set of, I think it's 13 questions yeah. that you go through that people can identify their values. And that's, is that the first step that someone should take to figure out what it is? That- I think it's the, probably the first step that anybody can do in their life that they want to help fulfill their lives and master their life. I, I can't imagine how you're going to get where you're going to go until you define what it is. It's like getting in an Uber. If you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going to go. How the hell are you going to get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be so the first, first step. Yeah. You need to know who you are. Yes. And then you need, then that tells you what you're going to be committed to. Because yeah. the heart of your values is dictating your destiny. Tell yeah. me what your values are. I'll yeah. tell you where you're headed. Yeah. And it's interesting when you go through those questions because you, you say things like, you know, show me what's around you. Show me what you speak about spontaneously. And, and I'll show you your values. Those, those questions exactly. really dig it up. Yeah, because most people, when they think of values, they think of some sort of moral and ethical hype, you know, moral hypocrisy that's imposed by some religious or political organization that's designed to disempower you so you depend on them so they can control you i'm not interested in that i'm interested in knowing what it is that you are intrinsically driven to do that your life demonstrates you spontaneously do that you're committed to that you love yeah and structuring your life so you can live an inspired life you're not gonna live an inspired life doing low priority things yeah and everyone is different in in terms of this the gifts that they've been given you know, what, what lights them up. So I think that's a wonderful place to start. So they can. So some people have a high value on, on raising kids. Yeah. If you have a high value on cooking, then you go home and cook. Yes. If you have a high value on cleaning, 
which I so far haven't met too many women. That really <laughs> really but if you do, if you love making sure the place is, you know, spotless. Yeah. It's, and it's a Zen experience for you. Then put that on the list and do it. Totally. Yeah. But, but at the same time, if you are and, and make sure that you take if you have a husband that's that's with you and you're not doing anything that's producing income. Yep. then you are still in business. You're in the business of fulfilling that one customer called your husband. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't fulfill them, uh, you're going to pay a price. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. So you want to make sure that you realize where your business is. Your business is either in a husband or it's yeah. in people yes. doing some sort of service to people. Yeah. Okay. And so this, this is applied to obviously various things, like you said, but I remember one, I forget where I heard it, the story you shared, was it on The Secret? I'm not too sure. But you were on a plane one time sitting next to a young lady and she was looking for a relationship. I love that story so much. It, it, and it's, it's, it can be applied, the values can be applied to that experience of finding someone to fall in love with too, yes? Yes, absolutely. So what, what, what did she go through with you on the plane to then figure out what she wanted that flipped her whole <laughs> you want the story <laughs> well I don't, do you want to tell is it do you think it's pertinent to this to this show or do you think i think sure, it's sure, sure. Story. i mean I, th th she's one of many that i've had the opportunity to do this with but so i'm i when i fly i i i usually get on first yeah or sometimes i'm i'm in the club lounge and i come on last either first to greet people or last to make my entrance <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so I come on last on this particular time from Houston to Los, to Las Vegas, because I'm speaking to a big conference the next day in Las Vegas. And when I got on last, I'm in the third row. I'm in aisle or seat C. And right next to me is a 27 tall, blonde, blue eyed beauty. Okay. She was in doubt and uh, with blessings. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I know when I travel next to somebody that's attractive or beautiful, it makes the flight better. I don't know what it is. It's just something about it. You, you know, it kind of spurs the electronics and the, 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 the juices, if you will. And uh, so anyway, I, I said, uh, hi, I'm John. And she turned around and she says, hi, I'm Tina. And I said, Tina, what do you do for a living? She says, I work at the MGM Grand Hotel and I do a hair and makeup for the celebrities that perform there. And I said, fantastic. She said, what do you do? And I said, well, I fly around the world doing presentations and write books and movies and things like that. And she said, fantastic. And then I said, so now Tina, what are you working on? What is your goal? What are you, what's the big goal you're doing in your life? What, what's the, the objective you have? And she said, well, right now I'm, I'm looking for my soulmate. And I'm sitting there going, this is good. I love this. This is a setup. I can't take advantage. I got to take advantage. So I said, uh, I said, great. How would you like to meet your soulmate today? Now that, and that's a line that's, that's a bit precarious, right? And because I, I asked her that just for fun. Yeah. And she, she looked at me like, uh, that's a bit forward. But what does that exactly mean? I said, how would you like to discover how to meet your soulmate today? And she goes, well, what does it involve? And I said, well, just ask him some questions. Mm. I can help you find your soulmate if you do. Okay. Like, what kind of question? Like, what are you looking for in a soulmate? And I got a jacket from the ticket. You know, they used to put the tickets inside yeah. a jacket in those days. Yeah. They were hard tickets. Yeah, yeah. And I started to write them down with my pen, right? I got my pen out. 
I said, so what are you looking for? She's like, I'm looking for somebody who's highly intelligent. Okay. I'm going. <laughs> I'm in luck. <laughs> okay, good. Highly intelligent. Yeah. Now, I'm not really, I'm teasing this girl. I'm not interested in it, really. I'm interested in looking at it, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm looking for. But I'm having fun. Sure. So I, I said, highly intelligent. Okay. What else? I'm looking for some guy that's got a good sense of humor. Ooh, love it. I can do that. Three, somebody that's got some moolah. Somebody's got some cash. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, somebody that's ambitious, right? And, mm -hmm. and these are all classical. You know, the, a yeah, woman's yeah. looking for somebody that's got intelligence, ambitious, money, that, that wants her, that's socially savvy, that's physically fit and, you know, hot to trot, the little butt and a big ch ch chest, you know, kind of thing, and broad shoulders, a nice jaw, and somebody that's inspired. So she listed all the classical ones that 99% of all the women I've ever done this with answered. It's pretty predictable. Right. And she had 22 things listed. So, as a, you know, and, and as you know, there's no way of ever satisfying a female. It's, 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 it's the list Endless. is infinite. Yeah. You know, Endless. men just want three or four things. Yeah. And women have infinite numbers. There. I'm, jo I'm just teasing. I'm totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now, so I make this list and I said, great. Now, what is exactly the opposite of that? And she said, well, somebody that's kind of dumb. I said, good. And I wrote down the exact opposite of that because you never get a man that has one side. Yeah. Because they're brilliant in one area, yeah. but they're usually pretty idiotic in the other. Like me, yeah. I'm pretty good in, in um, human behavior and speaking, yeah. but I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to technology and I haven't driven a car in 32 years. So yeah. put me behind the car and you'll go, uh, I don't even have to turn the thing on. I last rolled down a window with really reaching across and rolling it down. It's been delegated, low value. Yeah, I've yeah. delegated driving and my captains and my pilots. Yeah. That's all delegate. Right. So I went through and showed her that she's not going to get a one-sided man because that's a fantasy. If you're searching for a fantasy, it's unobtainable and you're going to have a nightmare out of a life. Yeah. Then I asked her, okay, who is providing you that in your life? Because nothing's missing. Nothing's missing. Mm. Who's providing that? Who's got the high intelligence? She said, oh, the owner of MGM Grand Hotel. He's brilliant. I said, great. Who else? Well, there's a guy that I do cutting hair with. He's just highly intelligent. He runs a major company and he's very intelligent. Great. And I made her list them until she had the quantity in a variety of men that was what she was looking for in her life. Sure. It wasn't missing. It was dispersed. Yep. It's either concentrated or dispersed, but nothing's ever missing in people's lives. And I made her go through and identify all of those and all the opposites. And she goes, so what you're saying is that everything that I'm looking for and its opposite is in my life right now? And she goes, that's really wild. I, I've never known that, never thought about that. And I said, yeah, nothing's ever missing. And the reason I want you to have that awareness is because if you think there's something missing you'll be desperate you'll be an underdog in relationships and you'll sacrifice what's important to you to be with somebody which will eventually you put an unrealistic expectation on them and undermine the relationship yeah she goes well that's something i've done before and i said now but can you see that you're not missing it so it's not a desperate position yeah it's you already have it now it's the question is would you like it to go into one or keep it in many because right now you've gotten many. She said, why do I have that? Well, can I ever find it in one man? I said, well, not exactly. You're going to find one man that's going to get most of it. You're going to have some friends filling in a few of the gaps. Because that's healthy. You can't yeah. just put everything on one person. It's unrealistic smothering. I said, so now 
if you'd like it to be in one person, the reason why it's not is because you've been wounded in the past when you were one, one person. And she goes, how do, I, how do you mean? I said, well, let's take the last boyfriends, like a list of the boyfriends that have been at least a few years in your life. You know, you've lasted a period with. She listed them down. I said, let's go to the first one that was most recent. What is the specific trait, action or inaction that they displayed that you end up despising, disliking or hating? And you swear, I don't want to do that again. And she said, wow, he was extremely, extremely wealthy, extremely powerful, but he didn't have time for me. Mm. He's busy. And so I'm sitting on call waiting and he didn't want me to work. And then he eventually dumped me because I wasn't as empowered as him. And I was the underdog, as you said. And then what happened is I had to recreate my entire business. And I can't take a risk of that again because my business started going down. And so I swore I don't want to get caught in that again. So can you see that you now surround yourself with men that are extremely wealthy that pay you instead of you subordinating to them? He goes, she goes, wow, I didn't think I did. I did it unconsciously. I said, all of our strategies, if they're not conscious, they're unconscious. Yes. And that's it. Now go to the next one. Oh, he was hot. He was something to drool over. But 15 women were after him all the time. And he was a player. And I could never rely on him to be there. And sometimes I know he would lie about me because he stopped with somebody else. And so I go, I don't want this. But I want handsome men around me. And they're coming in and getting their care cuts. And they're paying me. So she started thinking, I'm actually getting what I want. They're paying me and I got a viable business. So I'm empowered. She goes, I never thought I was unconsciously doing this. And I'm not dependent. I said, now go to the next one. Right? Well, this guy was, was, man, he had a sense of humor. But flaky, <laughs> never really business savvy. Didn't, you know, I couldn't rely on him. I was paying for things. And I go, I don't like that. I got a son here. That's a goof. Yeah. But I thought I wanted this sense of humor. And then she goes, wow, I have made sure that I've avoided those things that I, I like, but with it came the things, the downsides, as you said, there's always a peccadillo with everything that you admire in somebody. And she goes, I'm starting to get the gist. What I did is I unconsciously I'm avoiding the pains that went with the people that I was looking for. And I wanted the one side and I didn't want to take the other side. And I've been looking for a fantasy to escape that and then not running into it. Now you're getting it. You've manifested everything you want. You're an empowered woman. You've created a formula. So will I ever get it closer to the one? I'd like a good, you know, lovemaking and somebody to sleep with at night and stuff. I said, great. We're going to now, if you don't mind, take the time to clear out those wounds. And that's where I brought in the breakthrough experience information, the, the Demartini method. And I one by one methodically showed her how to dissolve the resentments that she was unconsciously trying to avoid with her instincts from the amygdala. So she could go back and have an executive function and plan what she wanted and honor it and manifest it. Yeah. So what happened is we cleared four wounds and we're landing now. Time ran out. I didn't care. I mean, I was going to read, but this is uh, getting to do what I love to do yeah. and help somebody is always yeah, inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I had a car service waiting to pick me up. I said, look, I'm going literally across the street from you. If you want, I can drop you off there. She said, absolutely. Great. So we exchanged cards. We had a great chat, dropped her off, said goodbye, went across the street, speak. Three weeks later, because I gave her a card, three weeks later, she sends me an email. She says, dear Dr. T. Martini, I will never forget the time we met and on that flight. That was like an angel sent with eye-opening insights I would never have gotten if I hadn't sat with you. All right. And then she said, thank you. 
I met a man from Israel who is handsome, who's my size because she was tall, yeah. uh, who's wealthy, who has a number of businesses, who is delegated to businesses and travels around and doesn't have to do nine to five, you know, all time working and asked if I could go on a trip with him. And, and we just got back from a trip. And I just want to say, I met a man. I feel stable. I'm not infatuated with him because I know I've got my power. Yeah. I'm, I'm selective and I'm being more, you know, I'm not impulsive. I'm making sure that these are really ticking some boxes and they take off a lot of boxes. And for three years, maybe every quarter, she'd send me pictures of them and things they were doing. And uh, so I, I know that the second you realize your unconscious motives and know what your values are yeah. and break your delusions and fantasies and unrealistic expectations, that the amygdala love to build. Yes. You are more empowered to create what you would love in a way that builds momentum than any other way. Yeah. That's incredible. And it's fa fascinating that all of us, we have our fantasies. We, we paint the fantasy and we you can't live up to it. And it creates all this unhappiness and conflict. And, and that's yeah. a great example. Well, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I wrote down one time, I want to be an international sex symbol, you know, like a James Bond, <laughs> you know, or, or, a you know, Hugh Hefner or whatever. Like, but I have, when I realized my values, I realized there was zero evidence of that happening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> zero. Yeah. 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 I, I was, my day, my life was demonstrating I was in front of a book or a computer researching every day and writing every day, writing for 1500 magazines around the world. My life demonstrated that. It didn't demonstrate all that stuff that I fantasized. So I deleted that fantasy. Yes. And realized that that wasn't true. Yes. So I had to deal with myself because those yeah. are just delusions and fantasies that we get yeah. because we get enamored with a movie we see or something. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I learned in your breakthrough experience because it's one of the things that I, one of the main things I took away was this, this fantasy we paint. And I thought it was just so well taught by you in that breakthrough experience that. When I talk to young people now, they say, I say, what do you want to do with your life? And they say, well, I want to be, I want to be a dietitian and get into clinic and, and all this stuff. And they're studying a degree. And I say, that's interesting. And I think that when they get into the real world of actually what a business requires, a lot of that technical work that they really love and want to do is not what they end up doing. And they paint a fantasy of what it's going to be like to be in that role. And I say to them, have you ever really worked for a dietitian yet? And they say, no, I said, I'd really start there because I think you're painting a fantasy of what it's actually like to be in this industry. Go visit, go visit the individual. Yeah. And I learned you know, that from you. You know, if you, if you really love something, but the thing is many, many entrepreneurs, I would say 80% at least, they have an entrepreneurial dream, but they get bogged down in management, administration, and all this stuff that they think they can't transcend. And so the very thing that they really love to do, they don't get to do, it's not because they can't, it's because they haven't learned the art of delegating and prioritizing. Yes. yes. And they're trapped. And then they think, my highest value is business. Nobody has a highest value business. <laughs> they have a highest value of doing some specific thing in the business. Yes. And because it's too general business. Because yes. I, have, I, have, I have a business of teaching. I travel the world. I've been 181 countries speaking. So I have a value of doing that. But it's not the business administration and financial stuff and yeah. marketing and all. I don't know. Yeah. I delegate that. Yeah. I teach, research, write, travel. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so I, I, that I can do every day, 20 hours a day. But I'm not, if I was having to do all the other stuff that I might have 
kept doing if I hadn't taken written that read that book. Yeah. I might have been burned out. Yeah. Or bored. Yeah. Or unhappy or both. Unfulfilled. Yeah. It's fascinating you bring that up because if someone did tell me the other day, they said, you know, uh, Elon Musk, someone said, oh, you're a great businessman. He said, I'm not a businessman. I'm an engineer. He spends most of his time in the engineering department because he's worked out, obviously, that he's that's that's what he's great at and that's what he loves to do. And hires the people to do the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even the best business people in the world actually follow what you're talking about here, which is living in their in their values. Can I, I got to share a story. I, yeah. I was in New York. I used to live in New York. We used to live in Trump Tower, wow. right under the Donald. And, uh, <laughs> under the Donald? Really? Yeah, right under the Donald. <laughs> right underneath it. And um, what's interesting is I had the opportunity to consult for the, at the time, the head of the Oppenheimer Financials. Wow. And he was retiring. And he was about to get a job at Brown University as the chancellor. And he's asking for a consult because I did consulting for all kinds of different characters. And he said, um, I said, so what do we want to work on today? He said, it's hard to say. I said, well, it's hard to say because you don't know or it's hard to say because you have to face something. He said that. He says, I'm afraid that they're going to find out that I'm an imposter. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm a, I don't know how to run a university. I've never run a university in my life. I don't know anything about it. And I'm scared that it's now going to be, I've been such a, a, a achieving guy in what I'm doing. I'm afraid I'm going to end my life in the end, the last portion of my life dropping, not going up. Mm. And it scares me. How do I get past that? He said, I said, very simple. <laughs> he said, simple. I've been racking my brain <laughs> and having nights, sleepless nights for days thinking about this. No, it's simple. How did you run Oppenheimer? Oh, I got the best people, surrounded myself with it, and inspired a team. I said, then let's get the best people and surround yourself with it and inspire a team. You're good at that. That's where your specialty is. He goes, oh, my God, I can't believe that's that simple. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. So you don't need to be an educator. You don't need to be an academic. You don't need to do that. All you need to do is inspire a team yeah. of those leaders. And you're great at finding those team members. He said, I am good at that. I said, so let's go build a team. Wow. He said, I can't believe it. It's all gone. My shoulders are tight. All that's gone. I said, it's so simple. But he was overlooking it because he was suborning. See, anytime you meet somebody you think is more intelligent than you, more successful than you in business or something, or more you know, wealthy than you, or more stable in their relationship than you, or more socially savvy than you, or have, no, have more leads, you know, or more, more physically fit than you and have like abs and perfect bod or something, or more spiritually aware. Anytime you subordinate to somebody and put them on a pedestal mm. and minimize yourself because you're too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you, you inject their values and create uncertainties and in a sense dilute and cloud the clarity of your own mission. And the symptoms of that are feedback to let you know you've gone out of being authentic. And so you're, you're getting the feedback. And, and that's not a weakness. People think, oh, it's a weakness. I got, you know, I, I keep sabotaging. No, those are not weaknesses. Those are your physiology and psychology doing their jobs to get you back onto what is true. Uh-huh. And many people confuse that and beat themselves up and go to some specialist to try to get them over their fears. No, they're just feedbacks. They're trying to do something that's not really their core. 
Yes. The core competence. As Buffett mm -hmm. says, teach the core competence. Yes. That's what his is. Doing yes. balance yes. sheets and studying financial systems or whatever. That's his specialty. Yeah. Not the other. Yeah. So mine is researching, writing, and teaching and traveling. Yeah. And I've traveled over 20 million miles on a plane. I've sailed around the world many times, you know, this kind of thing. So what exactly are you core at and stick to it? Yeah. And build momentum and become known by it. Donald Trump, even though he's a crazy guy and people wonder about him and all that stuff, I learned something from the guy. And I did learn this. Find it is that that one thing, as Gary Keller says, that one thing that's the core of you. Yeah. Become the greatest at that. Build momentum. Build a brand around that that's unstoppable. And stick to that. There you go. So I'm a teacher. That's it. I, you know, I, I got introduced to a very, very uh, strategic brotherhood of very top A people on the planet just the other day. I got to speak to them and get interviewed. This guy does prime ministers and All right. you know, He's Oprah and Elon Musk. He does a good, a sharp guy. And I got to be interviewed in this thing. And it was interesting because all of those people were all top A people. They're all leaders in their field. And so when I did that, I immediately, when I see somebody that I think they're great at something like that, I immediately go, where do I have that equivalent in my value system? Mm. So I'm playing level field. Yes. You're minimizing yourself to somebody. And I don't do that. I, I, I've already taken the most powerful people on the planet and just find out where I have everything I see in them so I don't have to do that. So, and then they become part of the, the network you play in. And you start, you end up resonating in that field because nothing's missing in you. I said in my break to at the level of the essence of the soul, nothing's missing you. At the level of the existence of your senses, things appear to be missing you. Yes. And the only thing that appear to be missing you are all the things you're too proud or too humble to admit that you see in others inside you. If you can have reflective awareness with the seer, the seeing, and the seeing are the same, you liberate yourself from those volatilities and emotional amygdala responses and get focused on your mission and build momentum. It's like, this is the, uh, it's like when you talk, you can tell that this is your, like it just can't, flows out of you. You can just talk about this all day. And that's why I love being taught by you. It's just, it's just perfectly said. Um, let me ask you a question then. When you go into that experience with these these leaders and you you don't want to be subordinated and you say, well, what do I see in them that I have in myself? What Can you give us an example of, say, that in action? So like, for example, if I walk into or, or have an experience like that where there's a lot of big, powerful players, what do I say to myself or what questions do I ask to actually then bring myself in a level playing field? The same thing I taught in practice. What specific trait action or inaction do i perceive this individual displaying or demonstrating that i admire look up to you know or infatuate with most and narrow it down yep. to a trait physical trait an action that they do exceptionally or an inaction that they they don't do identify what that is don't lie to yourself be really precise and narrow and write all those down whatever they are now then you go to a moment where and when you perceive yourself displaying or demonstrating that same specific trait, action or inaction that you admired in them to the same degree, quantitatively and qualitatively. At first, you're going to say, well, I don't do it as much as them. Yes, you do. You can only perceive in other people things that you have, but you're too humble or too proud to admit it. There's an old statement in, in uh, the biblical writings in the New Testament under Romans 2.1. And it basically says, beware for what you judge in others, 
is within you. And it's true. Yeah. And so taking the time to go and find it. Now I've done this on a hundred thousand people minimum. Yeah. I really think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I can guarantee it. And people always say, no, I don't do that. I don't, you know, I don't have what he has. <laughs> Look again. It's in a form that is in your values. It's not in their value form. See, I got the genius of Stephen Hawking, but not necessarily in astrophysics, even though I've written textbooks on astrophysics. It's not necessarily in there. It's in human behavior. Yes. So I, I just look at where do I have that dedication and commitment and willingness to do it regardless of the obstacles and, and creative, innovative ideas and, and prestige and everything else. Where do I have that? It's in my area. Yeah. Once you identify where it is, you're not trying it to be in something that's not you. Yeah. It's honored in your form. People get caught and go, I, as, as Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. And Albert Einstein, when he was 18, had a teacher named Philip Leonard, who was a Nobel Prize winner and was friends with Hitler. And Einstein stood up in his class, which you didn't do in those days in Germany, and challenged his authority on a particular topic that he got his Nobel Prize with because he found a flaw. He found a flaw in his teaching. Yeah. Even though he got a Nobel Prize. And he stood up to him. And this guy did everything he could for the rest of his life to destroy Albert Einstein and Clue tried to get him assassinated. But Einstein said, my contempt for authority is what made me the authority. Uh, it's not my subordination to authority that ever makes you an authority. Yes. It's the contempt for it. That means that just because somebody's an authority doesn't mean I have to believe it. It just means I take that information in and, and I gather it and look it up. And he even said, Einstein said something really nice, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, if God discovers something different than what I've discovered, I feel sorry for the bastard. <laughs> I feel sorry for him because he's going to have to go and learn again. He's yeah, not, yeah. He needs to go and study my work. <laughs> uh, that's sensational. That's so good. I mean, uh, this has been such a wonderful episode. I could just listen to you teach all day. I just want to say thanks so much for being on the show. Um, but I do want to finish with this with you, John, because us or you rather, I'm just sitting here facilitating this, but Talking to the, the audience about time management, well, delegation, creating space for yourself to live in your highest value, how to identify your values. That's so important. But what people don't put them into practice. So I want to talk very quickly towards the end here. Let's talk about your breakthrough experience because I did read yesterday. I didn't realize this, but I'm pretty, pretty sure you do 43 a year. I have. During you COVID, have. it's been less because we do yeah. it in by time zones. But up okay. until COVID, 40 to 43 a year was pretty consistent. I've done 1,160 breakthroughs. Incredible. So, yeah, it's about 40 to 43 a year. And that's where you take all of your teaching, the Martini method, and you actually put it into practice. I mean, doing doing the breakthrough exercises. Yeah, I make you learn it. I make yeah. learn it. Yeah. So that way they know how to use it the rest of their life. And it, it's a goldmine, that tool, because it's yeah. – I, I, just, I just finished presenting a program on 1,000 health conditions the neurology, the endocrinology, the physiology, the pathology, everything about the, I went through all the organs and systems of the body and all the different, or, you know, pathologies. And I went through and showed how our applied psychology is affecting those physiological systems. Let me give you an example. If you live by priority, without a doubt, if you live by priority, the blood glucose noxion surges up into the forebrain, into the executive center. And if you live by lower priority, it goes into the amygdala, subcortical area in the amygdala. If you do in the amygdala, you're going to be volatilely, subjectively biased in your interpretation for survival. 
If you're in the executive center, you're in thrival. Now, if you do that, it automatically stimulates a certain area of the hypothalamus, which then goes into the autonomics, which then goes to the intra, intercardiac network, which is a syncytium of, of nerves in the heart, and activates certain hormones to synchronize the heart that's in phase lock with the brain with gamma waves in the brain that comes out of an alpha rhythm that makes sure that there's a synchronicity which brings tears of gratitude to the heart, opens the heart as they call it, and brings poise and presence and automatically a transcendental inspired state with tears to the eyes, a eureka moment that you see lucid vision on. So the physiology is an absolute confirmation of the wisdom of learning how to live. Mm. So I went through all the physiological systems. I studied, I taught pathology, embryology. I taught all that neurology all those years ago. So I put all this together and showed how each illness is a manifestation trying to wake people up to their authentic self to try to live an inspired life. And we spent over a thousand different conditions in five days, 200 a day. That's incredible. So really, what at the end, that's why Warren Buffett is 90, 93 and Charlie Munger is 98. And they're still working because they've actually worked in the realm that they're most happiest in. Yeah, and, and even though they're eating a McDonald's. Yeah, even though having six Cokes a day, and it's still, and I think this is- That's really, what he loves. Yeah. That's what he loves. Yeah, That's he's quite, got a rhythm. His yeah. microbiome, his microbiome advertises Dairy Queen, uh, you know, yeah. inside. The, the, the bacteria are wearing shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. But I mean, it really just proves that. Like, that's why these people can go and have these poor diets, but they still live such a great, fun, long life because they're in there. There's a number of variables on longevity. And what's interesting is every time you're living in your forebrain, your telencephalon, it's because you're living by your highest value, which is called your telos. And the moment you do, your telomeres on your gene extend to live longer, to fulfill a longer-term vision because people who live in their highest values have longer-term visions. So your physiology lets you know you're living authentically. It's trying to help you. That's it. That's it. That's the, that's the answer, really. It's a fountain of youth, really, isn't it? Do what it you love to do. It is part of the fountain of youth. It is. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, um, in my case, 120 years is a pretty good deal. You know, I, I, if I got 120 years, that'd, that'd be pretty good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 68 now. So if I got 120 years, I'd be doing pretty good. I don't know after that if I could be an international sex symbol beyond that. That's that's why I'm, I think that's that's a good. If I get <laughs> so you're, you're, you've got 120 on your target. That's it. I think about that too. I think about 125. So I'm with you on that. I think that if we don't have the vision and the goal, we're never going to get there. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm already feeling, I'm, I'm telling my students, I said, you can sign up now for a discount for that seminar on that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Well, so John, I just want to say thanks again. Um, well, what I'm going to do is if it's okay with you, I'm going to put in the show notes, get Phil to put in the show notes, a link to go to, is it best to set, to give people the values questionnaire or, just tell them to go to drdmartini.com. Okay. Online, just look for determine your values. Okay. And take advantage of that. Okay. And maybe they'll see a little advertising. I've just got a new book. I've got three yeah, books coming. Out. Yeah. Yeah. We've got 40, 43 out. There'll be 50 books out by the by a two year smell where we're doing a series. I got three coming out, just bang, bang, bang. And this one is called The Seven Secret Treasures. And I just yes, finished I saw that. two nights ago, I finished The Resilient Mind. I have another one called the productivity factor. That's going to be about that productivity. Yes, perfect. So they're the three, the productivity factor, the seven secrets. 
treasures. Tre and sorry, seven treasures. All three of those will be coming out very shortly. But the, the seven secret treasures out is out tomorrow. Okay, out, the, out tomorrow. And I saw that pop up on your website. You can grab that. So I'll be grabbing that book. So I'll put in the show notes. Go and go to Dr. D. Martini's website. Go to the values test. Get his books. But here's what I'm going to finish with. Do the breakthrough event with Dr. D. Martini. You get to jump in with him for a couple of days, spend time with him, and you will be blown away. I mean, you're probably blown away already from this show, this episode, but jump into the breakthrough. I'm going to you know, encourage everyone who, who listens to do the breakthrough with you. Uh, I think it's just wonderful. So, John, thanks so much for your time. I'm just so thank privileged you. and honored if you have me jumping on the show. So thank you no, so thank much. Thank you. Thanks for the questions, because without the questions, you know, that's that's what makes it happen. Sure. Thank well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So uh, thanks. And I look forward to seeing you back in a breakthrough and uh, catching up with you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Money Grows on Trees podcast. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, Money Grows on Trees, which you can find at LloydJRoss.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a review, and feel free to reach out to Lloyd on Instagram at Lloyd James Ross. 